feel like things are back now. I'm not sure. I just checked YouTube. Um, the connection was terrible at that setting. Uh, I tried a different setup right now. Hopefully that would fix things. But if not, then I'll have the I'll have the um, the whole radio confession thing kind of clipped on its own for people later. But um, no, actually, it's, it's it seems to be it seems to be uh, looking all right. It says twenty one minutes in on the live, so it should be just bringing us back into it. Um, yeah, so it's as I said, challenging environment to be in. Uh, challenging choice for me to meet to do to make at the end of the day, but I did feel like if it's like I said, if I'm not learning, I'm not progressing, there are other things I could be doubling my you know doing more in. And I know a lot of people would say you know how to take your own advice, give it some time. You guys, I've been thinking about this for months now. I've slept on it, I've reassessed it, I've talked about it to Sheda, I've talked about it to friends. I've asked advice. Uh, usually, when it's not about complimenting the show, people generally tell me, "Well, you know, you will know, you'll know for yourself whether or not you should do it, right?" And I feel like this has been an ongoing problem with entertainment in in the Middle East, uh, an ongoing problem with entertainment in Bahrain, and it it I feel like I have like some idea of what I want to talk about when it comes to at least the reason why people should be taking advantage of the situation we're in, especially with Corona, especially with self-isolation and doubling down on just creating their own brands, creating their own content. There's no need for anything else in my opinion. So that's why I'm saying if you're asking the question, is traditional media dying? Yeah, dude. I think it is. I think it is all across the world, but it isn't necessarily dying in the sense that it's going to go away. But in the sense that, as as things kind of change, when you have these like huge destabilizing events, things that just shake the shit out of everything. Every time you see somebody like you know Napoleon fucking streaming through, Mongols streaming through, causing shit, Spanish flu, whatever you want to call it, the whales in Star Trek. However the, however the fuck you want to describe it, there are disruptive events, right? Such, social media is so disruptive. These, uh, these things that kind of disrupt the status quo and change the balance of power, right? It causes us to reassess what's necessary and what's not. And that's what scares me about the, the current situation, is that the, especially if you're in traditional media, if you're in the old guard, or if you're part of the the power structures that be, there's a lot of people in the cinema industry, in movie, in Hollywood, in entertainment as a whole, that are losing billions right now. Insane amounts of money. To the point that, like, producers are looking at Ariana Grande thinking, is this bitch too old right now? Do we need younger? (laughs) What's going to work? Because I don't think there's enough money in the world. There ain't enough ass, no titties. They're going to get you enough money to get you out of this situation. Because uh, if this thing stretches and continues onwards with the Wuhan virus, which I'm, co- I'm committed to calling it the Wuhan virus now, I'll tell you why in a bit, but for now, let's stick to this topic. As things get into summer in the States, 
music festivals, events, all that other stuff will kind of increase the damage to the economy in the US and the entertainment industry. And there's, let's say, a lot of fat in the entertainment industry in the States, especially when you're talking about cinemas, right? So if you can operate without the mafia of theaters and, and cinema owners across the States, if you can just, you know, violate a treaty and go straight from we released the movie to instant revenue on a streaming platform, kind of how Disney, like, Disney's basically taken most of their movies that we're going to release for this season and they've directed it straight to Disney Plus, which is already a huge investment on their part, right? So they kind of, they, what's funny is they kind of set themselves up to make that transition later on in life anyway by owning the platform for distribution themselves. Kind of like how Steam did that for video games. Video games used to be hard copy sales. Now for most PC people and now consoles as well, a lot of people don't buy hard copy. Why would I want the, the DVD at home? It's just clutter, right? It's easier. You get faster discounts as well. You know, you can download it that night, preload it if you want. So there's been a lot going on with the changing of the distribution platform for entertainment. And it's been happening for a while anyway. People have been expecting it. People just didn't have expect it to happen 180 overnight. Don't you fucking do that like Dua Lipa don't start now 180 bullshit. Because most of those girls are twirling like 360. It's not even 180. No, somebody didn't go to college. In any case, if you look at it, this is like a disruption, right, to this distribution platform. And if they can get away with not paying these theater owners, these cinema owners, and get away with just distributing the movie straight up, and people get used to it three months down the line, four months down the line, sure... They're seeking financial help and assistance with a bailout. I know that Hollywood and some people in, in these um, little lobbyist mafias in the States are trying to get uh, you know bailouts for cinemas and, and, and theaters to, to consider them as part of cultural, it has cultural value. So they're trying to sneak themselves into this deal. Now, even if they do or don't, there are people that are going to start realizing, hey, we can take the opportunity that we're in and get rid of some fat. And you know they're going to. It's the same thing a lot of businesses are scared of. Like, uh, you know, if you, have, if you have a lot of um, uh, employees that you suddenly realized weren't as important, important as you thought they were, or jobs that you realized, hey, this can be done from home. I don't need to waste uh, the office space on you. Or I could just replace this, you know, extra asset for this. What is that Warren Buffett saying? As the as the tide goes out, you can tell who's, who's been swimming naked. That kind of situation. A lot of people with dicks flapping around. A lot of people have been swimming naked. And this whole Wuhan virus has kind of caused um, caused a lot of us to to recognize the reality of the situation and that there's going to be a lot of fat that's trimmed off of events, entertainment, media, all kinds of stuff that's going around town, and you. You don't know what the end result is going to look like, but you do know that for a bunch of these uh, cinemas and their lockdowns and everything that goes with it is that people have been, you know, trying to keep the positivity going. I've actually said that it's the curse. I think it's Saw Cinema getting back at us, telling all of us that, hey, I'm 
Fuck me, you close me down, I fuck you in the ass, man. Baba, I'm coming for you. Sar Cinema knows, uh, Sar Cinema was the first sign that the movie industry was in trouble in Bahrain, I think. So we'll see where we go from there. But yeah, if you've been paying attention to most of these people on, um, uh, you know, on in media in the States, wherever it is, you look at um, Ellen, she's been in the news recently. Let's go through a list of them. So as Ellen, this is the benefit, by the way, for all the people out there that want to stream in Bahraini specifically. People in the Middle East should be taking advantage of this vacuum right now. There's a lot of content that's trying to take it to the next level when it comes to streaming, videos on demand, YouTube, Twitch, whatever you want to call it. Freaking Macy Williams from Game of Thrones. She's going to be streaming, um, what's it called? Animal Crossing. Fuck that. But if she's doing that, you know that's the truth, right? That they're getting desperate. Cavill, the guy that does The Witcher, Superman, he just freaking announced that he does like... The nerd world went crazy because he, he paints the little miniatures. The stuff I do, Warhammer. And why would he admit that now? Because he's desperate. That's why. Because when you fucking have nothing left and you're like, oh my god, they're, they're going to stop productions on this and that. I better stay relevant. I'm going to take out every little skeleton in the closet and tell you guys that I do this shit. He probably doesn't even want us to know how bad he paints. I'm sure he paints well. It's not disparaging. Just saying. It's Custody's helmet. Never mind, it's off topic. In any case, what I'm trying to say is that a lot of these people in the media are trying to take advantage of the situation. And I don't feel like Bahrain is. I don't feel like a lot of people are. And if you look at their production value, Ellen's at home. Okay? This is John Oliver. HBO level production right now I'm talking about, okay? Look at this. White background, sitting, rat-faced looking British bastard. Nothing. No laugh track. No ability to have an audience in there laughing at what they say. No rehearsals, no proper teleprompter, whatever you want to call it. Now, I don't know if that's intentional. For some of them, I'm sure, because I don't freaking believe that Jimmy Fallon and the rest of them don't have the budget to set up a proper studio at home. So I, I'm pretty sure that's kind of part of the plan. Because when you don't have the laugh track, it's not as easy to be funny. You know, watch some of those YouTube videos uh, where they take away the audience from the Big Bang Theory, the fake laugh track. And it starts sounding weird. Even with friends, there's a lot of creepy moments. Because that's not the way comedy is done. It has to have, especially when you're talking about TV comedy, like produced sitcoms and everything. There's a formula that goes into it. It's written to suck you in and make you kind of get feel relaxed and then unload the laughter into your belly but it's not like stand-up stand-up you're working with the audience and you're making sure your timing is always on so you have to be able to read the audience to be able to know how to time yourself what to talk about what your flow sounds like when to put your beats and your pauses and everything else so tv can't do that because it's the same problem you have in radio the, the shit i was describing before if you don't know the rhythm of what's happening in the person's head then you need a high level of production where you're producing this and that and the timing and the scripting and the rehearsing and the writers. They have freaking 30 writers in a room. So if you if you took, and this is my guess, right? If you took the same level of, let's say, value for how it looks 
And this is a smart move on their part. If they built an impressive studio at home, which they could because they have the fucking money, you're not going to fool me into thinking Jimmy Fallon doesn't have the money for it. But if you did do that, what ends up happening is people have a high expectation. But there are things that are going to be missing. The writers, the staffers, the audience. So it's better to actually make it look worse so people's expectations get lower and then you're not in a pile of rat-faced shame. But that, if, you're, if you've ever wondered recently why it feels weird and feels off, that's the reason. But it's a good thing for the rest of us. See, I would compare everything that's happening right now to... Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Oh, I have two graphics in the back. What is wrong with me? Uh, see, this is the lack of professionalism on my part. I don't have Jimmy Fallon money. Right. So, if you guys have ever studied... <laughs> like, I'm going to sound like such a dick right now. If you, if you guys studied um, World War One history? No, in, in, in Europe... Prior to World War One, you know, a lot of people were assuming, hey, why didn't we have any real big wars before that one? Well, there were a few things that were keeping the world in check, right? Otto von Bismarck, one of the leaders of uh, Germania, uh, he had this ingenious plan as a ruthless pragmatist, a statesman, a leader. He wanted to create a network of alliances between Germany and the rest of the world, specifically Europe. And he made sure that he had treaties signed with Russia against France, against England, and a treaty with France against if, you know, England, you know, joined up with Russia and this person joined up. You have to understand back in those days with European competition, people were switching sides more than fucking like 20 times a day. It was like Game of Thrones on crack. It was really like alliances were shifting left and right all the time. So... In order to keep the peace and the stability of Europe and the safety of Germany, because Germany is in this fucked up position where it's got people, you know, trying to get at it from every side. And that's why every time they fought Europe, they've made sure to kind of knock off one side faster than the other. So go into France, fuck France up, then turn back and look at Russia because you don't want to get squeezed in from both sides. So what he did, because he didn't want to go into war, he wanted to protect Germany as he created this network of treaties and alliances and overlapping kind of agreements so nothing could be violated. If I violated one, the other one would topple. And it was an ingenious way of keeping everybody in check. So everybody felt safe because they knew that these treaties couldn't be broken one way or another. If you did, you'd see it coming a mile away because you'd have to unravel the network to be able to make everything kind of go boom, boom. And that is kind of what happened with the next Kaiser. <laughs> it was Wilhelm. And I can't remember which one, the second or the first, but one of them. Very confrontational. And he was the one that basically... Uh, that's, he's the one that basically just sat in Russia's face and provoked everything that led up to World War I. So it's not just the assassination of, you know, what's his name? Franz Ferdinand. That's the simplified history. That level of interconnectedness, the treaties, all that shit going on, it's no different than right now. In this moment in history right now, there are a lot of factions playing up. It's not one freaking Illuminati. As much as like the Arab world is obsessed with conspiracy theories about one total world government, 
it is not the case. There are like six players. We can say that they're huge and they control large swaths of territory and influence and power, but let's assume there are at least six of them. And they're competing the same way Europe was competing. Different alliances, different factions, things change, things shift around. And as things develop that people couldn't expect, couldn't predict, like the technology that led to World War I, industrialization, mechanized warfare, all this other crap, the same thing's happening right now. There are six different players, giant factions, all the small baby factions. The smaller ones, they attach themselves to one or the other or multiple ones. Like, I'm going to trade with this one. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get my porn from this guy. I'm going to get, uh, what do I need? I need produce from Africa. We'll just take that. We don't need to ask them for it. <laughs> Poor Africa's always fucked. It's the only one that hasn't really been playing the game. Everybody's been playing Africa. Right, my point. As these big giant powers realize that now the rules have changed, we went from risk version, let's say, 100 to risk 100.2. Because Wuhan virus just fucked it up for everybody, right? My point is, when that disruption happens, this is the opportunity for smaller players in the game of risk, to rise up and become a bigger player, to become a China or a US or anything else. And that's why I'm saying in the world of media, that's ha what's happening right now. The big networks are getting fucked over. They're losing money and they can't compete. Smaller YouTube channels are nimbler, faster, better, stronger. They're Kanye. So a lot of us can take advantage from that moment and actually do something about it. Especially in the Arab world, a lot of people could actually be um, benefiting from the whole thing. I personally, I'm not a fan of uh, China. I don't like China. I've never liked China. One Corona, hold the virus, please. Don't forget, it's Rashid. What's up, Rashid? Thanks for subscribing, bro. So... um that's kind of like the gist of what I'm saying with the, you know, us in the Arab world having, we need to have a goal in mind when it comes to this the current circumstance that we're in. When, when you're a YouTuber, when you're a streamer, when you're somebody that wants to put yourself out there or have been thinking of doing that, now is the time. Because you can see through the cracks of Western media. You can see the, the, the new and upcoming control and influence of media coming from the East, from China, Russia, anywhere else. And you can say that, hey, there's a part for me to play in this where I can represent Bahrain in my own light, in my own specialty, in my own focus. That doesn't have to do, it doesn't have to be related to freaking makeup videos. Like, this is the one thing that bothers me about everything we do in, in the Middle East, is that when one person is successful, right, like, it's the same formula. It's like, هاي فتح محل تليفونات مال الحوت. Whale telephones. Then you'll, next time you'll find the same branding, bear telephones, camel telephones, karak telephones, whatever you want to call it. We know this phenomenon happens. Internet cafes. One opened up, 1,000 opened up. All right, try a new angle, try a different business model if you want, try different branding if you want, that's fine. We've gotten better at that shit. I feel like in the service in industry, we've made the most strides 
and Bahrain and other places. Specifically, Bahrain has done really well. Um, but for some reason, in entertainment, the content out there is uh, weak. Like, I had graphics, but I, I think I lost them. They wouldn't transfer over. Can I just do one second? I'm going to check on something, guys. Hold up one minute. Just needed to take a sneak peek at the uh, the wireless router, make sure everything's broadcasting. Because I'd have a bad feeling for some reason. We're good, we're fine. I didn't want to drop off again. So, let's assume that you've, um, you want to be able to, to kind of like start off something different for entertainment in the Middle East. How would you do that? How would you get into it? How would you not destroy your financial future doing it? I think the start of it would be to fill a niche between the Arab world and the global population. So you don't have to make content for the U.S. Like I've always talked about this show. Uh, the biggest reason why it's in English and not in Arabic, even though I've done before previously when I was doing esports, I did commentary in Arabic. I did some content in Arabic. Uh, one, it's not my strong suit to do it in Arabic, I feel like I can vocalize better, obviously chicken nugget, so I'm, I'm a faster thinker, uh, I know more words in English, that it takes time for me to kind of process in Arabic, but I'm, I can speak conversationally well in Arabic, but I'm never going to present a show, if that makes sense. But the second reason was, is because I felt like there was too many things that were only isolated, only, you know, they were only there for the Arab world. We never got to represent ourselves to the West. You'd find Americans, you'd find Europeans, you'd find all kinds of topics out there about the Middle East that white people were talking about. About us. For us. Or it'll be what I call the proxy Arab. So it'll be a guy on CNN that's Turkish. Yeah, close. Not close enough, right? Or any... You know, the majority of Egyptians and Lebanese and other Africans are on the media representing Gulf state Arabs. Why is that? Let me talk to the white person and explain to him how he doesn't understand my country. Why can't I do that? Why can't I tell them about the fact that, you know, China worries me? I'm scared of China. Not because of the Wuhan virus, which I am going to call the Wuhan virus, because honestly, I've looked into it. I've heard Bill Maher talk about it. I did promise you guys would talk about it. And the fact is, is that every other virus is called, it was, it's based off of its location. Zika, Nile virus, West Nile, Ebola, all of them. The, what was the other one he mentioned? Um, Lyme disease from ticks. That's from Lyme, Indiana, Some, somewhere in New York, I think, or some shit. In any case, it's basically a location thing, historically accurate, and it's not racist. So we need to tell Westerners not to be too scared about the sun. Gas again. What the hell? Something about sitting on this chair that always causes gas. Or I'm just getting fat, which I am. It is the Wuhan virus because it originated in Wuhan. If you called it the China virus, China. If you call it the China virus, then maybe you're being a dick. Because there's no reason to call it a China virus. But if you want to call it Wuhan, call it Wuhan. I don't like the fact that China puts so much pressure on the rest of the world to manipulate our media. Whether it's the Middle East, the West, or anywhere else. 
Listen, I know we don't trust the West. I know we feel like, hey, we've had the run-in with other colonial powers from, you know, Kuffar. The infidels in the West, in America, anywhere else. But do we really have to give the colonial driving freedom, the, the steering freedom, the, the person in the main cockpit to, to the other guy, to China? Didn't we learn this the first time around? The, those guys did the whole colonialism thing, didn't end up really well. We didn't like it. We were kind of taking the back seat. We were not driving the car. We used to. We used to drive the car in the, in the world and be like, hey, we're going to be the leaders. And then we decided, you know what? We're good. We conquered. We made good money. We did this. We'll take a back seat. And the Europeans went ahead and, and, and just started innovating. Creating uh, tools of warfare that we, could, we didn't realize was happening. We're like, oh, fuck. What, what, what is that? Cannons on a boat? When the fuck did you guys come up with this shit? We, 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 here, we, we invented the shisha. We were just having fun, guys. I thought we were like, okay, chalas. It was really the story of like the two empires of the West and the East. We we got to, we were at one point we we're competing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and we were like, hey, you know what, guys, you want to chill? You want to just chill? We kind of conquered everything in our part of the world. Let's just chill. Every now and then we'll swap empires, and then somebody else will take over this whole thing. But generally, I think we're good. We're happy. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing for us. But when the Europeans compete within themselves and they're developing weapons, you know, one after the other because they're trying to, like I said, with the Otto von Bismarck thing, they're trying to keep up with themselves. The second they decided, hey, you know what? Let's just go and uh, take over the rest of the world. Between us, we'll compete there. And they did. And they realized the rest of the world wasn't ready for what they had developed over the last hundred years or so. And that's how we got into the problem of recent history, post-colonial uh, regret. And I'm saying that's happening right now with China. I don't like it. We're asleep. We're letting them do what they want to do and get away with it. I don't like it. And I'll tell you why. Because I feel like China has been, you know, for the last couple of years, we've, we've seen jokes from South Park. We've seen other places in the world kind of talk about the fact that they have a huge amount of influence uh, on the rest of the world. And our movies, our TV shows, our writing, what they approve. If you freaking mention Taiwan, if you even just mention Taiwan, you will lose funding for like an entire continent. China's turning Africa into the, their China. So they, they have such a smart understanding of what's going to happen in the world. They know that their own people are going to rise up from a low-income bracket to a, a healthy middle class. And therefore, they can't do the same thing they've been doing for years, which is compete on you know low-paid, low wage, wage, minimum low-wage labor, low-skill labor, as they call it, right? Like a low-skill workforce. And they can't maintain that forever because their economy was growing, right? They were industrializing. And then at some point, they, it becomes industrialized, so their growth slows down, but they still get people that are, you know, getting better living standards, their skills as laborers go up, and therefore their price gets up gets up there. And therefore you can't do that same kind of, I'm going to out-compete the rest of the world because my workforce will do whatever I tell them to do at this level of a salary because they're desperate. They're going to take the money anyway. So what they've done is, they say, we're going to go develop another country that is undeveloped 
an entire continent in this case, called Africa, giving out interest-free loans with no stipulations, no, no, nothing. You don't have to make sure that the money's not coming from something illegal, like it would with the World Bank or anything else. Now we're gonna give you the money. Do it. Develop these highways. Develop these dams. Develop all these things. And the agreement is, you're gonna pay it back, your own time. Like I said, interest-free as well. But then China gets to develop an entire continent that then will become their new China, where all the factories will be in the future. Right now, made in China, tomorrow made in Ghana. That's where the world supply of dildos will come from at some point or another. I had a really interesting video. I was like, you know who predicted this? The guy from Hong Kong that was like, Donald Trump, don't trust China. China, asshole. That guy. I had that video. I don't know what happened to him. It's not working for me for some reason. What is he going to say? Where is it? So he, he predicted the problem at the start of it. And now we're stuck with a situation which uh, you know, we're not really happy with as a, as, an, as a world power. And you know what's amazing though? Is that Bahrain and other places like Bahrain have done really well when it comes to the health game. You know, developing our own economy, figuring out our medical needs, our social welfare, that kind of stuff. We're actually pretty much in par with the rest of the world, which I'm not surprised of because there was a strong tradition of that happening, all going all the way back to, you know, the education level, uh, the literacy rate in Bahrain being higher than the rest of the, the countries in the region. But what I want to mention is that. There are a few people that were surprised by this. That were actually, it was actually brought up in the news recently. And, and was it in the news? I can't remember. Was it, somebody said it, it was in the news. But I, I found it through social media. So family members had actually brought this up to me. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but this chick. Right. <laughs> She's from Kuwait. I can't remember what her name was. I'm going to switch back into the YouTube to see if... Uh, <laughs> Actually, the first use of the tank was Arab. Yeah, but that's... Mm, it was, you know what I mean. Like, we were competing and then we stopped. I'm talking about mechanized, as in fully, like, steam-driven, whatever you want to talk about, artillery. Like, I, I can't remember which book it was. It was... Um, I can't remember what it was. I think If I'm not thinking, not The Seven Wonders of the West or something like that, I can't remember what the book was called. It was Neil Ferguson, I remember that. The West and the Rest, maybe one of those. But he was talking about how uh, the invention of the printing press, because we had banned it in this part of the world under the Ottoman rule, because it was considered, you know, this piece of technology that was actually offensive to our culture. Because the printing press was uh, this machine that would just go flam, bam, and just slap and do a lot of like quick printing, right? And it was, you know, at first there's two things for it. One, you couldn't print holy scripts using that thing. It just seemed offensive. It would just smack the books around and the papers and everything else. So it just seemed disruptive in that sense. And then the second thing is that we had a whole tradition, a culture, a, a culture and a class of people that were professionally trained to be scribes, calligraphers. That was a whole profession. People spend their whole lives learning how to just their whole lives just ink in, ink out 
losing sight. Somebody would go to a freaking rock and squeeze the ink out wherever the freaking fuck ink comes from. And then you just go back and just scribble out again. So when the printing press comes along, you'd be like, motherfucker, get that shit out of here. I don't want a printing press. Are you serious? There must have been like a, a, like a calligrapher's lobby. Like a group of, of calligraphers and scribes in Ottoman Turkey that were just going, no, dude, we can't get that. What the fuck that shit? What is this European machine? This is slapping books around. They just printed like 50 books while we were just doing one. F- it's not It's not something that you're going to... It's not something that you're going to be accepting that easily into your civilization or your culture. And because we did that, because we banned it, a lot of these developments was like the early internet. A lot of these books were being like, you know, passed around. Instead of just borrowing one book from Simon in Germany and then having to give it back in two years because it takes you two years to learn to read or whatever the shit was at the time. But you now have, everybody can have their own book. Books were not just this rare exclusive thing by their standards where only princes and, and royal emperors that could have in their private libraries. Like even if you were a scientist back then, you'd have to go to a fucker's library, his private collection, to be able to read somebody else's book. Like Socrates' treatise or... Somebody, and that means the dissemination of information is not fast. You can't learn from whatever your predecessor has kind of wrote down and learn from their mistakes. So once that kind of like travels, then you can have these books that are based on mathematics where somebody goes, oh, I like that math that you, were, you developed. I love it. I'm going to take that. I'm going to apply it to ballistics. I'm going to figure out how to use your math and apply it to military warfare and create an accurate cannon. And sure, we had cannons. We had really big cannons in in the Arab world. We didn't necessarily have accurate cannons that can shoot from boats. So we kind of slowed down, let's just say. We weren't we weren't underdeveloped. We were the best for a long time. But we just slowed down. That's all I'm saying. So what, what was I getting at? Yeah, this going back to this whole thing with uh, the woman, the journalist. She was uh, actually complimenting Bahrain. She was saying it is. She cannot understand how Kuwait still has doesn't have their shit together when it comes to the social services, the medical checks, the uh, lockdown, the testing. Basically everything that goes on with Corona these days. And Bahrain has been on top of it. Because Bahrain learned the lesson. A few people have actually been learning and and listening to the advice that was being passed around for the last five years. But be careful, these viruses, one is going to hit us soon. Looking at the trend, looking at how these things have developed over the last couple of years, one of them is going to be bad. Economically speaking, medically speaking, so you, so you need to prepare these systems, these firewalls, because we're not ready for this shit. There's a video going around YouTube these days with Bill Gates saying, you know, we're not ready. Listen to me. I made a lot of money. I got the systems. I got the programs you need. Take these vaccines. Come on, take it. This is forcing little kids in India. Take the vaccines. I made Microsoft. But he's been telling people left and right that we're not ready. Okay, I can't remember what her name was, this woman. Uh, 
In any case, she was on the news or she was on her channel. I'm not sure what it was. I saw the, like I said, on WhatsApp, I saw the video. And she was complimenting, talking about how Bahrain is, you know, ahead of everybody and why is Kuwait not. And she was kind of, in a way, being very expressive, uh, talking about how, like, Bahrain is this tiny country, but, yeah, they did so much. Look at them. They're doing this, they're this, and my hat's off to Bahrain. And, uh, she she goes on and she goes on to talk about it and at first sounds like a disparaging way because I had family members that were asking like is she complimenting or is she disrespecting Bahrain what's going on here and I said no 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 she's complimenting but she's being harsh on Kuwaitis and she's being flamboyant because that's what Kuwaitis do they know how to do this in the eyes okay in Bahrain we know how to do it but we keep it within the family people don't. <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel like this is the truth because there are some people that were talking about how Bahrain, and in response to her, saying that Bahrain has always been this way. I don't know if you know this, but Bahrain has always been this way. We've been advanced in many fields. We've created pieces of aluminium that have gone into NASA's shuttles and other things like tires made for BMW. Or is it rings? Something like that. We'd make shit for BMW, apparently. I don't know how. I, I want to get these stories. I don't have access to this information. I googled the whole NASA thing. I couldn't find it. But I'm going to take them on their word that all of this is true. Okay? Because I'm not surprised that Bahrain is leading in something. Now, the question is, why are people getting butthurt over the fact that she was complimenting us in a kind of backhanded way, but still a compliment? I feel like there's a little bit of insecurity going around because of what she said. Um... When, in reality, what's ironic is that the people criticizing her were saying that, you know, Bahrain just doesn't have good PR. Doesn't do good on its branding. Doesn't do good on talking about itself. And whose fault is that, Bahrain? Like, this is the one thing that I've always been surprised about, even when I'm, uh, when I'm on the radio. For the life of me, I can't get Bahrainis to express themselves. Express! We don't have to talk about politics and religion or anything else, but you can express yourself. And for some reason on the internet and on Twitter, you'll find people expressing themselves, talking about things. But when it comes to things that, you know, matter, it's like, oh, and I'm not saying I get to decide what matters or not. I'm just saying that when it comes to topics that we would eventually be sensitive about, like how this woman has been describing Bahrain. Almost in this belittling, yani, look how small Bahrain is, but they did this amazing thing. Well, honestly, if that bothers us, then Bahrain needs to take its own PR and branding into its own hands and decide how do we want the rest of the world to see us? Are we going to control the narrative about us? Or are we going to say, you know what? The rest of the world gets to control the topics of conversation. That's annoying because when it comes to voice and influencing the media and talking, you know, you're talking about your own narrative, your size doesn't matter. You can argue that your budget does, but these days, like I said, with the current media landscape and everything collapsing around us as far as traditional, you know, empires of media, any person with, with a YouTube channel can be influential, especially if we're not talking about, like I said, controversial politics or anything we don't need to do that we're just talking about basic everyday everyday things we should be we should be joining in on the global conversation we should be joining in on what they're saying as a, at a as a global 
community around the world. When the Koreans criticize the Americans for not handling the corona case well, why are we not doing the same? What is South Korea compared to us? Another small country that has managed to boost itself up due to economics, due to treaties, due to a lot of things, but nothing we don't have. So it surprises me that Bahrain doesn't take control of its own narrative, even at the scale and breadth of an Instagrammer or a YouTuber. Our conversations go back to this shit. Makeup girls and makeup videos that talk about the Wuhan virus and then we shut them down. <laughs> we shut them down because they, they, they're spreading misinformation. Alright, I get that. I understand that. Couldn't we just educate them though? Couldn't we have a conversation going? It feels like whenever a Bahraini talks, they just slap the person down. Okay, help, educate, conversate, talk, enjoy it, have fun with it. It's not the end of the world. Like, I know there's this kind of um, association with sim'a, you know? Like, we, we're always worried about who's representing us. Which makes sense. But I promise you the rest of the world doesn't give a fuck. We're the ones that care. The rest of the world doesn't care. And the rest of the world don't have any standards anymore. Have you seen some of the shit on social media from the US, from other places around the world? They're not impressive. For example, let's take the UK. All right? We hold the UK up to this amazing ha 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 white person land. Of tea and crumpets, I will understand. Because they're elegant, apparently. Compared to, like, Americans or anything else. They're not. The majority of Brits are loud, dumb, ignorant, drunk. Like, let's get the list of pronouns going. And it, it'll it'll get to an end. There are a few videos of, of like, oh my god. Of this one woman that's screaming. Because they would... <laughs> They wouldn't let her have, I think, a third roll of toilet paper or something. And in the UK, they were already dealing with some controversial policies. And I was surprised. I was surprised that, you know, I was looking at this. I was like, why do we, why do we think the, these people are better than us? I had this joke. I was like, I was talking about the fact that on stage, we say, oh, white people are so smart. You know, white people that come to Bahrain, they're so educated. They're, they're you know, out of our league in a lot of ways. But only because we've, we've, we've seen the persona they put on, this attitude that they have where they're well-spoken and they're well-mannered, like the way they judge this woman, the Kuwaiti woman, for the fact that she's not, you know, she's not a typical boring newscaster. She's being flamboyant and talking off the top of her head and just being a person. And we look at her, we're like, hey, we don't trust you because you're not dignified. You're not speaking in a dignified way, with a dignified mannerism. Well, guess what? Just because somebody's dignified and white, wearing a suit, whatever it is, doesn't mean they're smart. Usually they're dumb. And can I just make one more note? Usually if you're a white person and you think you're better than me and you came to Bahrain, you might be. You might be better than me. You might be more educated than me. But I know for a fact that you don't better not think you're the shit. Because you're not the best of the best. And the reason I say that is because the best of the best in the UK and in the States, they're not going to come to Bahrain. 
The fact that you're here tells me you're not the best of the best. Because we can't afford the best of the best. So what does that make you? You know what I mean? No, that's the white person that knows that when they're in New York or London, there are three. Just like hot girls. When they go to New York and London, you know, back in their hometown, there are ten. Once they go to New York or London, they're instantly a four or a three. Because there's competition now. So these bastards are playing it on easy mode, coming over to our country, <laughs> coming over to this part of the world, and pretending like they're tens. So where does this come from? I don't know. I'm getting on a rant here. It, it's, uh, it's surprising that we expect, we expect more from the rest of the world than from ourselves. And we think that they, they have a, a right to speak about certain topics when I feel like Bahrain doesn't. Out of the sake of modesty and being humble, respectful, and that we don't air out our dirty laundry. You know, we keep the dirty laundry within. So basically this old colonial standard of being reserved with the stiff upper lip, the old British way of doing things. And the problem is, it annoys us when the rest of the world talks about us. Ergo, Kuwaiti bitch. Sorry, apologies for the word. I was not dignified enough. But I don't pretend to be dignified, which is the most important thing. But it does bother us when she, she talks about us. So unless it's good things, we never want to hear from anybody else. Now, the last thing I want to get to is the best part, which is at the end of her statement in the video, she goes on to talk about you know, why she thinks the Bahraini, Bahrain medical community, Bahraini medical you know, infrastructure, the social services, all of that. Why is it so ahead of everybody else? And she says, oh, it must be because we drive cars. We're so good at our rally racing. Bahrain is so good at driving their rally races and everything else. They've, they're far ahead of everybody else. That's not the reason. <laughs> I'll tell you the reason. The reason... It's because Bahrain doesn't trust China. Okay? No. Winnie the Flu and his friends, we don't trust them. You know, little, little known fact to this woman is that we've had Dragon City for a while now. Or as we call it, Dragon Mall. And we are very aware of the kind of products and services available at Dragon Mall. I wish I had these videos, guys. I'm going to try to put it in the, in the actual pre-recorded one if I could. Oh, there we go. That's one of my favorite ones. I got it, actually. It's working. Awesome. So I'm going to play this right now. Wait, well, let's go back to this. Going to do that. Shift this over. Shift this over. Shift this there. And I'm going to play on the program. Do you guys remember this little moment? This little tidbit? There we go. That was the good haul. Was it 2017, I think? Is that too loud, by the way? Let me try to... Bring that down a notch. Yeah, it's too loud. Sorry, guys. There we go. Yeah, that's the. That, that, this is the, now. This is the part that I didn't understand because you could see the security guard. I'm gonna bring this back to the start. Okay, look at the security guard. To me, that's the World Health Organization. They're just looking at China fight with Taiwan. They almost wanted to interfere, even when the woman went down, and then decided, you know what? Fuck this. I'm gonna go call her back up. I'm just gonna fuck this shit. I am going. Leave me alone. Let the Chinese fight themselves. And this, this is um, the most embarrassing moment I could ever describe. 
with a group of people from China and Bahrain. And then this guy comes in and clocks the other person. What is going on in the scene? Well, it's something to do with infidelity, I remember. And the most disappointing part of this whole video is not a single one of these Chinese people know Kung Fu. Not a single one. Everybody's going from one headlock to the next. And this guy's going to headlock the third guy because obviously the Chinese copy each other. They copy everything. So things didn't look good. And Bahrain experienced that very early on with, uh, with Chinese products and exports in Bahrain. So we were very aware of what China's influence could be like in, uh, in Dragon Mall and other places. So it's been our, our kind of expectation that something might go wrong and therefore we do not trust China. This is my favorite part from uh, one of those movies that they actually uh, they sent over from Dragon City. I don't know if you remember, this is part of a trailer. Uh, it was when they first promoted Dragon City in Bahrain. It was really funny because to me that, that represented everything. That five, five dinars, he's holding a five dinar bill telling me, you know, how much I'm worth. If you could look at the, the stare in her eyes. I'm going <laughs> to gonna switch over to, to this other video. I'm going to try to get rid of this one. Remove clip. And I'm going to put, where is it? Dragon Mall behind, Dragon City behind. This is the one I think. Is it? Yeah, that's the one. Let's do this. This is the ad. Love it. Do, do, do. All right, playing. Dragon City. The best of the best. I said, why does it always turn on it too loud? The clips always start off like max audio. I'm going to figure that out one day. Look at that. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. See, this is, they have, they have that, have the one white kid. Has to be the one there. Just in case. You don't want to make the white people nervous. You want to let them know that they're included in this whole deal as well. You know? And this is her. This is this is China. This is the representation of China right there. She gives him the five dinars. By the way, for some reason, she, she grabs that toy, which is like a wooden horse. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this right now. She gives that toy, which is like a wooden horse. Can I can I oh I can actually rewind. There we go. I didn't know I could do that. I'm gonna take it back there. Can you see that? And she buys that toy. Can I rewind on the program? No. Damn it. All right, I'm going to just do this then. I'm going to show you what it looks like when she grabs the toy right there. That's the wooden toy. That is not worth five dinars. One. So obviously the five dinars represents something else. Obviously represents us getting ripped off or something. Uh, you know, buying our soul. Not sure what's happening, but we were very aware of the predicament with China. And what they could possibly do with our money and their presence here in Bahrain. And you you have all the proof in the world when you look at this dude. Because India always knows. India is right across the border from China. They've experienced them for years. Thousands of years. They're very savvy when it comes to Chinese money. You can see the look in his eye. That look is of terror. Pure, utter terror. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust anybody else. Like this is the comparison, her look to his look. He knows, he knows what's coming. He knew this was in 2017. This ad, he knew Wuhan virus was coming, and that things were going to get out of hand.
So, to answer her question from Kuwait, that's the reason Bahrainis are well-versed in the medical community, what, what, what could happen in China. And I'm really scared because their influence is growing. I can see the fact that, you know, Western media has no ability to stop their propaganda. They're paid off as well. Why don't we control the narrative as well? We need a bit of the PR game, represent ourselves out there, talk about this problem, be like, hey, you guys, it's not just the West and Far East that have a, a part to play in this conversation. We have things we could say as well. What is this? I'm, oh, sorry. I'm, I just switched back to the YouTube to see the comments. Uh, Rashid, true, the first school. Mercedes-Benz's rims. Okay, that's, that's a good correction. I heard from somebody else that was BMW. Bahrain in the 30s and 40s was bigger than Dubai. Yes, it was. That is the truth. Singapore is smaller than Bahrain with 6 million population and no natural resources. Look at their infrastructure. Do you know what that is? That is the same thing that you would see in a lot of like um, military history. When they study certain figures like Brandenburg in Germany under the Prussian Empire. Frederick the Great. Landlocked. No port. Not many resources. Had a well-trained army because of Frederick's dad. But generally, the way they defeated and conquered their enemies, not to say that we should be violent. That's not what I'm advocating here, by the way. I'm just talking about the mental game that people need to get themselves into to be able to play at the level that China's playing, for example, or anybody in the West would be playing. To be able to be a player at the table and have our say. You need to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And Prussia at the time under Frederick the Great knew that they would be good in their land warfare and knew that they were good when it comes to developing infrastructure. So rules and regulations. Frederick was all about not just the conquering part of his reign. So he took over Silesia, took it from the Austro-Hungarian Empire, if I'm not mistaken. That was a huge thing at, at the time. Silesia was like... This, this patch of land that was known for its natural resources and wealth. But that wasn't just the only thing. It was not about the fact that he got it. Because there's a lot of countries that have natural resources that they've wasted. They couldn't do much with it. You know, the black gold is called a curse sometimes for a reason. Because it doesn't necessarily influence you in order to make the right choices. Take that resource and invest it in something. And I feel like Bahrain has been smart about stuff like that. So uh, another one that people mentioned after that video with journalists came out was... Um, the fact that Bahrain had, uh, you know, taken all these wealth management funds from people that are, you know, that would want to train up Bahrainis. And, you know, things like Temkin and everything else. And they've made sure that these, these changes to the infrastructure were there and set, set ahead of time and in place in order to handle situations just like the one we're in. To handle a crisis. This is smart. This is what's called infrastructure development. And I feel like in a lot of cases just like this, you have the potential to change the future of your nation if someone is willing to build the infrastructure. The same way China is building all, building all those highways and dams and everything in Africa for nothing. Because they know that their future is in Africa. Not just, not just because of the labor force I was talking about, but also because of the fact that Africa has a lot of natural resources like palladium, zinc, precious metals that they need 
for developing and manufacturing all the equipment that they do already. So China's thinking at an infrastructure level way in advance. Now we've had stuff like this, sorry, again, cold, gas, I have everything today. We have thinking just like this, but we don't necessarily have it at a cultural level. So the people that, we're, that we have as leaders are smart. They have long visions, they're thinking in, in the long term, but they haven't been able to communicate, I feel, like that vision to the everyday Bahraini. And why it's important for us to know these things in order for us to control the narrative overseas, overseas and then be a part of the conversation overseas. I feel like we, we step out of the game. We step, we step out of the global dialogue. We don't join in on the dialogue. And I feel like the reason why it's important for us to, to a little bit loosen up about that and be a lot more free form and a lot more trusting about who gets to talk about these topics is because we will end up being better players overall the more connected we are. So then we don't lose out on progression. We can let them, if you want to let them, you know, Lead the way, that's fine. They can lead the way. Usually if you're being the adventurer, the experimenter, the person that is, you know, being the first at everything, it doesn't necessarily mean you're the smartest. Because you could take all the risk and then China comes in after you've paid all the development costs and they just steal your shit. <laughs> They're like, hey, I, oh yeah, is, is how you develop a smartphone? How much did you invest in researching that phone? Jacked! Now, now you take from China! Don't trust China. Donald Trump, don't trust China. China asshole. That guy knew everything. He knew everything. So I think that is the one of the more important things about this conversation. Allowing them, if they want to be leaders in, in development and everything else, they can do that. But we need to be as close to all these topics as our medical community has been to the CDC, to the World Health Organization, to all these different medical, you know, symposiums and summits, a lot of people in the medical field here have been keeping a close eye on this specific topic. And it paid off. This is a moment in time where this definitely pays off. I think, I think hopefully that this is a good example and I hope Bahrain doesn't get lazy about it. And uh, hopefully there's going to be a future where, um, where more things are going to be that way. And, and hopefully it's going to be an entertainment as well. Not just, you know, boring, dignified media. I'm talking about alternative media. Not necessarily just influencers and people talking only at a social level, but more at a global level. And entertaining ideas for the sake of entertaining it at a higher level, a higher standard, and not just making it seem like we want it, when we really don't want to deal with the consequences of developing it. So yeah, those are my thoughts. I think I've gone through everything I want to go through. I'm, I'm a bit over time. But that's why I'm enjoying the uh, this episode. And I, I had a lot more videos. I think the one I really wanted to play was the guy that was going, China, don't trust China. China's asshole. But that one is that, it's not going to play because the resolution is off. It's at 1060. And I'm running at 1030, so it's, it can't take the resolution for some reason. 
No. Did I, did I miss any clips? I don't have one more, maybe. The Dragon Ball. We did the Dragon Ball one. I think that's it. Actually, you know what? Maybe I should play the... But it's in Arabic. Would I benefit from this? No, no. I'm not going to play it. There's no, no point. I'm going back into um, the end of things and wrapping it up. We're already over an hour anyway, so thank you, Rashid, for sticking with me. Fahad as well. Sorry for the disruption at the start. I am going to clip that beginning and um, talk about more things later on and uh, get some feedback from other people on to why I, I'm deciding to leave radio and that next week is going to be my last week on air. I'm going to be doubling down on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to be practicing some more improv, uh, doing some writing on the side, taking on a workshop or two. I'm going to try to up my uh, editing skills and my tech skills because I didn't really get a lot of training doing that in radio. But, hey, sometimes you learn other things and sometimes you get I don't know what you get. <laughs> you get good money. I'm going to say that. At least that's a benefit out of my time in radio. They pay you well. There's no doubt about that. They definitely pay you well. I will just say that um, everything I mentioned at the start stands. Now, once I stop learning, once I feel like uh, I have a different goal in mind and, and a different heading and I don't feel like... Um, I don't feel like I'm a good fit for radio. I don't feel like it. I feel like this is the kind of format that I need, something that's much more free form, uh, you know, where I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm able to actually talk to the people that want to hear my content. And for all I know, people liked my content on radio, but I'll never know. And I'll feel like there's nobody out there. I don't feel like there's anybody out there that's interested in finding out as much as I do. I want to know. And just hearing from my friends, from fans is not enough you have to have a sample size you have to have analytics you have to know how long are they listening and usually in every other part of the world you'd have that you'd have uh, you know a team of people that are able to, to kind of put that together either through focus groups or through uh, ratings but we don't have the a rating system in Bahrain as a as a, as a broadcast network that doesn't exist um, so it's, it's impossible to tell and I feel like the culture of radio and entertainment on the island, for the longest time, it, it wasn't motivated by wanting to know. Why would you want to know the truth? Maybe if you found out the truth, that would actually lower your value, your marketability, if you could show the numbers. So I, I felt like if you're the kind of entertainer that doesn't want to know the truth about where you stand and how well you're doing, you can never learn and you can never get better. And because radio is this, just you screaming into a microphone without any real feedback, without a producer, without a co-host, most of the time anyway. There were times where we do have co-hosts, but depending on the budget, depending on the situation we're in, we, we have to go with the, the most... You know, this is the part that I, I say is just circumstance. You have to go with what is more financially feasible as a, as a leadership decision. And not having a co-host is part of the, the, the a very common thing that can happen. But when you don't have that, you don't have a producer, you don't have staffers, you don't have interns, you don't have other people in a studio. Because usually in a, a network or a radio show, you'd have everybody in the same building. 
You get to interact with the other RJs. You get to see the team, the marketing team, the sales team, whatever it is. And we don't have that situation. It's literally walk into the studio, do your show, walk out. And the rest of the room, the rest of the, the building is the ministry. It's not connected to our, our building or our infrastructure. So really, like I said, you're screaming into the black hole that is the mic most of the time and hoping that you're, you're clicking with somebody, even if it's just one person. But for me, because of the type of content that I run, I don't want to be that guy that has no idea that he's fucking, he fucking sucks, that I'm terrible. I don't want to be that guy. Even if, I, if people didn't think I was terrible, but I don't want to, even if my content was too out there, too niche, too, you know, it's too different. It's just not marketable. People want something simple, something they understand that's focused on the music, whatever it might be. It doesn't bother me to know that reality. But I feel like a lot of RJs and people in this industry in Bahrain does bother them. And they'd rather not know the truth. And I feel like that's that goes against everything I've ever believed in. It goes against the fact that when you're on stage, you're doing any kind of art form or entertainment, whatever it is, even if you're just playing a freaking video game or you're doing a sport, you learn more from the failure than you ever will from succeeding. And the problem with this situation is I don't know when I failed. I can't tell. I'm not the right judge. Usually you need to have somebody tell you that. And there's no way of knowing. No way of accurately knowing anyway. Because a few people are not going to cut it. Anyway. This kind of wraps it up back to the beginning. We've come full circle at the start of the stream. Again, sorry for the uh, interruption and the, the halfway point. I'm going to clip things together, make it all work out. Thank you guys again for tuning in, staying with me on the live stream. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, as always, it's going to be, <laughs> I said it was going to be an isolation hour. And again, I went over an hour. Sorry. I'm going to try to shorten it down, at least for these solo ones. Uh, next week, I'm going to be having a guest in the studio. I'm going to be doing a one-on-one with Mike Donovan, who was here before. But his episode got lost in the ether. It, uh, the, the SD card went <laughs> and it was gone. So we're redoing the episode, introducing you guys to him. What I've done with him in the island before. He's the first American that I'm going to be having on the show. Uh, he's part of my improv crew. We've done a lot of shows together. Uh, he's a funny guy. He's an insightful guy. He's uh, a, an out there character. He's the kind of guy that not only has his background in the Navy... Uh, he has a story to tell from his theater background. He's done theater in the States. He's done improv with them there, improv theater, everything, improv comedy, all of it. And uh, his experience in Bahrain was a unique one because he, he's fallen in love with the island. He's fallen in love with Bahrain. And he, he's one of these Americans that doesn't stay in the base. He doesn't stay isolated away from everybody else. He actually goes out there and tries to meet people and wants to know more about Bahrainis. And he's always intrigued with our subcultures and everything else that goes with it, from the traditional, the, the heritage, to everything else in between. So I thought he was a perfect character for the show. And I'm going to have a one-on-one -on -one with him next Monday. All right, you guys tune into that. And don't forget, thank you for uh, watching. I appreciate it as always. And make sure you hit that subscribe and notify and uh, share it with people as well. If you know somebody that would be interested, don't forget the audio uh, version of this podcast and this episode will be out, inshallah, tomorrow. 
if not the day after, because I have to figure out why this cut off and, and connect the audio together. All right, you guys, have a good night. Take care. You've been listening to Better and Better. Peace. Thank you.